we're constantly heading towards the sunlight. You know, that little blade of grass is busting through the concrete to get to that sunlight. And so we're constantly going to move and evolve towards the light, towards towards life-affirming systems. I mean, it's ugly right now, but I have faith and we just have to continue to push beyond what we think is possible and, and hold on to that. Welcome to Cancer Connections, the podcast for anyone who has been impacted by a cancer diagnosis or is open to learning from those who have. I'm Hillary Theakston, Executive Director of Clarity. On Cancer Connections, we have the kinds of conversations about cancer that don't always happen, but maybe could. Conversations that are thought-provoking, profound, and science-based. Conversations that we hope leave you more enlightened and empowered about the cancer experience. We won't have all the answers, but we hope you'll connect with the ideas, the people, and the resources that you need for life with cancer on your own terms. So thanks for listening, and thanks for connecting with us. We wrapped up our first season of the Cancer Connections podcast with an interview with Kelly Noonan-Gores, who is the writer, director, and producer of HEAL, a documentary feature about the mind-body connection and our body's innate ability to heal. She's the author of The Heal Book, based on the film, and the host of The Heal Podcast, which features interviews with leading doctors, scientists, spiritual teachers, and healers from around the globe. She's interviewed real people with remarkable healing stories in The Heal Film, Book, and Podcast. These stories will inspire you with hope and empower you with knowledge, ideas, and a strong belief that almost anything is possible when it comes to healing. In all of her HEAL projects, Kelly encourages us to contemplate the interconnectedness of science and spirituality and helps us to appreciate how our thoughts, beliefs, and emotions have a huge impact on our overall health and the ability to recover from illness and injury. In this interview, we cover a lot of ground, including topics that we've addressed on other Cancer Connections episodes. This is a great overview of some inspiring themes and ideas for the healing journey please consider sharing it with someone who might need some support in navigating their cancer diagnosis. And thanks for connecting. Kelly, thank you so much for joining the Cancer Connections podcast today. And thank you for everything that you're doing to inspire people with stories and resources to support their healing. So just to get started, uh, let's start with some inspiration. What inspired you to create HEAL? Oh my gosh. Um, so much, so much. Essentially, it's, it's a long lifetime story, but um, I just, it's, I guess it was little things along the way in my life that made me kind of question or look at or step back and go, what's, wow, we're like really hypnotized, conditioned to believe, to seek outside of ourselves for healing when different things in my life told me the opposite. So for instance, in high school, I got, I got sick my my glands got very swollen, like golf balls inside of my neck, and then I got better, so I felt great, uh, but my glands were still swollen. So they tested me for mono, Epstein-Barr, all these things, but it was just like the basic tests back then, and uh, everything was normal, and my glands just wouldn't go down. They threw maybe two or three different antibiotics at it, still didn't go down, and so ultimately they put me under general anesthesia and did like an inch incision in my neck for lymph node biopsy. All of that was normal. So it was just like this unknown thing. And so I went to the chiropractor with my mom. Uh, she was going to a chiropractor for, because she still played soccer at that time. And he felt my glands as they do. And he said, just try taking a shot of apple cider vinegar twice a day for 
the next week and see if anything changes. And sure enough, after like a year of no answers, like <laughs> apple cider vinegar <laughs> cleared it up. Yeah. And so I think that was like planted the seed of my first skepticism of, yeah. of Western medicine. And then when I was in my late 20s, I was running marathons, you know, outwardly the picture of health, but I had like digestive issues like many 20-year-old females do. And I started getting like acid reflux. And so went to a gastroenterologist, went to an ENT doc, and one of the guys just gave me Prilosec and said, here, t- here's some samples, take Prilosec, I can give your prescription when you run out. And I was like, I like run marathons, I'm healthy. Prilosec <laughs> is for like 80 year olds, like what are you talking about? And so it just didn't resonate with me, even though I still was pretty clueless, about, you know, about diet at that point. And so I took this nutrition course online for, for other reasons. And then I, you know, aha, light bulb went off. Oh, maybe the frozen yogurt I was eating in the afternoon and the cereal I was rushing to eat for dinner because I was so busy. Maybe those things and like the red wine I was drinking and all of those things made my body acidic and I was having the reaction. So once I had the awareness, changed a couple of things, acid reflux never came back. So that was just like the beginning. And then I, it just was this life thing where I started learning about the law of attraction. And then I started meditating and going to the Agape International Spiritual Center. And so it was this conversion of all these different teachers coming into my life at the same time and and then meditating. And I just had this calling and awareness that I wanted to empower other people with, with all the information that I was empowered with. And so... I had been in film my whole life as an actor. That was the medium that I knew as a powerful storytelling uh, medium and just wanted to put all my teachers in a documentary to, to help others. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. It's, it is such an inspiring film. And I think that it gives us so much hope, so much real hope. Uh, it's, it's how you close off your podcast. What's possible for one is possible for all. And so I think that it's, it's just wonderful for you to put that out there in a way that is easy to digest and it's easy to find resources and ask questions. So it's, it was just masterfully done. And it, it's such an asset, I think, to, to anyone who's, who's face any kind of health challenge or health crisis. So the, the description that you use that I love is that you've described HEAL as a scientific and spiritual journey. And right in your kind of introductory remarks, you've talked about our environment that we're living in, our own beliefs that we grew up with, the system, the healthcare system that, that we are using to treat disease and promote wellness. Um, but part of the aims of this podcast is to help recognize the culture that we're living in, the beliefs that we grew up with, and to get a little bit of perspective and awareness of that. And so just starting with the fact that our healthcare system is very science-based. You know, when you talk about uniting science and spirituality, what are we missing when we leave the spirituality out of that equation, Right. What do we leave behind if we take a purely kind of materialistic view of a diagnosis or a health journey? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I still think it's possible to not have any understanding of spirituality and perhaps not believe in a higher power or loving intelligence or whatever terms you might say. I I think it's possible to still heal without any of those beliefs. So you could totally remove spirituality from the equation that you're conscious of. But spirituality, Mm -hmm. as I know it now today, it it exists. It's consciousness, it's source, and, and, you know, Western medicine and this kind of reductionist, separate, specialized medicine model is based in Newtonian physics. And we now know that, well, actually, it goes a little deeper and everything is energy and it's not solid. And once we get into the quantum and 
when we speak in energetic terms and connection through this invisible field that we have, which explains a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, where you think of someone and then they're calling you. I mean, we are energetic beings connected through entanglement and, and many other phenomenon. That, again, is hard to prove and hard to explain, but we know enough that it's it's there. It's a reality. So so just in that alone, the Newtonian physics model just falls short. So I explain like that, that whole energetic realm is spirituality. It's the invisible. And I just, for instance, Anita Morjani's story in my film, you know, her experience it, during her near-death experience on the other side, when she kind of left her physical body, which is like the Newtonian machinery, and she was pure consciousness, and she went back into source energy or whatever, which she described as a love that passes human understanding. And she just she was aware of the essence of her father and her best friend who both had passed and all these other beings. And, you know, this is a spiritual conversation, but it resonated so deeply with me. And she realized that every decision she had made in her life was kind of driven by fear. And once she got that clarity and her father's essence kind of told her, you go back and live your life without fear. You're not done yet. You have gifts waiting for you. She came back into her body and it was a body that was so far gone physically, organs shut down, tumors coming out of her skin. Uh, she wasn't absorbing nutrition anymore. I mean, she was, she was gone. And within three weeks, there was no cancer in her body and she was back in an animated physical body. And you can't explain that. And there's medical records to prove it. You can't explain it other than if you're taking into the the spiritual, addressing the spiritual. So ultimately, I think all healing is spiritual. People may not heal something physically, but there's so much spiritual healing and peace and surrender and love and acceptance that happens, that there is a massive spiritual healing for your soul, even though perhaps in this lifetime, your physical body didn't heal, you know? So I think spiritual is, is, is a is big part, the biggest part of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a beautiful way to capture that. And what I also find so compelling about your approach is that you're not in an either or mode, right? You're you're both and, right? It's science and spirituality. It's not one or the other. Um, they both have something to offer. Um, what have been some of the barriers or resistance that you've encountered at a cultural level or at a systems level or even in conversations with individuals? Why is it hard for us to fully embrace this? I think that it's cultural conditioning, which then mashes up with this structure that's just not conducive to holistic treatment. So doctors are, we've ever since watching Little House on the Prairie or indigenous cultures where there's the medicine woman. I mean, there was just, there was, there's always someone that you go to that knows more than you about Mm -hmm. health and well-being and balances and knows which herbs to give you from the earth. And so- We've always had that person that we go to when there's sort of like an acute situation. So so there's that conditioning. And then now we found ourselves in a modern structure where ever since like pharmaceutical drugs came on the scene and health insurance, we've created this bureaucratic machine or profit-driven machine where doctors who have, most of them have altruistic intentions when they set out to go to medical school, they really want to save lives, they want to 
develop new life-saving drugs, whatever it is, but then they get caught in this machine and they just don't have the time to take into account stress levels and diet and past trauma and all of these things that you need to look at that contribute to your ease or disease. And so it's that specialized model where we're, we're teaching doctors to specialize in one zone and they're not, they're, they're actually trained in a way to look for disease rather than they're not, our doctors aren't trained in how to be healthy or well, which is yeah. evident in doctors. They get, they, they work too much. They're burnt out. They're stressed yeah. out. They're being fed crappy food in hospitals mm-hmm. in the ER and they have 10 minutes per patient. So it's just, it's this unsustainable model driven by good intentions gone wrong. Yeah. And I think that we've swung so far into this very intellectual and, and to your point, Newtonian, right? This cause and effect. And I think it might have been in the Heal podcast uh, where you interviewed Anita Morjani, and she talked about the skepticism that she encountered from physicians uh, when she described her experience of what she you know, perceived to be a near-death experience. And what I was so struck by is that, you know, rather than stepping back and saying this woman was admitted and put on life support and then walked out of the hospital three weeks later, we're parsing, well, what really happened? Who cares what happened? Like, it it was a near-death experience. You know, who cares? Like, our body is capable of a lot more than we give it credit for. So, it's unfortunate that it's almost like we've conditioned out that curiosity. If we can't explain it, if we can't understand it, if we can't quantify it and measure it, if we can't replicate it, then we're not going to ask questions. We're not going to be curious. We're not going to try to understand. And so it's just, I feel like it's an unfortunate state of resignation almost in in healthcare that if it exists outside of this comfortable boundary, there's just, there's not much to do with how you're supporting patients. Absolutely. It's so true because I've heard so many, especially with cancer, they, a lot of patients obviously have to see their oncologist and they're going through treatment, but then some patients go and, and search for nutritional support, like the woman, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth in the film outside of cancer. and, And they're side effects are lower and then their treatment results are better and, and all of these other things. And, and nine out of 10 oncologists are, they're just like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Nobody's asking what it is because they just don't have the time yeah. to care or look into it or whatever. And then there's that one out of 10 oncologists that go, wow, this system doesn't support me treating the cancer patient how I need to treat. So I'm going to leave, start my own integrative oncology practice. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost me a ton of money and it's going to cost me a ton of time. But I know that in my heart that this is the right way to treat them. And I'm, you know, I can't, I got to be outside of insurance mm-hmm. or it's just, so it's, it puts doctors in a poor position and it's more expensive for the patients, but hopefully with enough awareness and with enough breakdown, we'll we'll just more and more doctors will know that that's the direction they have to go in because this current model is just not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. So we've both interviewed Dr. Jeff Rediger for our podcast and and I've been so inspired and and I know you have by his work on spontaneous healing. Um, And I think he, I just would love to read a passage uh, from his book and and talk to you about it a little bit. It it kind of addresses this issue, this a bit of this conundrum with how to approach these conversations, these more holistic conversations. And and I just love to chat with you about it. But Dr. Rediger wrote in Cured, it's important to point out that taking responsibility for your healing process is not the same thing as taking the blame for your illness. 
It's true that you have little say about the family, cultural programming, and genetic structure into which you were born. Part of the resistance to mind-body medicine on the part of the medical mainstream is the belief that this approach to healing blames patients for their illnesses. The overriding theory is that the downsides overwhelm any potential benefit. So some people do feel blamed and overwhelmed by the idea of taking ownership of health and healing. And the mind-body medicine movement isn't always great as untangling blame from ownership. Mm. So I'm sure that you've had these experiences. I know that when I'm talking to patients and participants about their experiences, there is a little bit of that hesitation once you open up the conversation beyond just um, it's genetics, it's a physical issue. You know, I've experienced that myself, just a, a reservation, a hesitation to talk about issues like stress or lifestyle or, or, or the bigger picture. Um, it can be kind of delicate to open that conversation. And so I just, I'm curious about your experiences with walking this fine line. How do you bring compassion to that conversation and walk that line between ownership or, or saying something that could feel like blame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really tough, especially if people are in a healing crisis, mm -hmm. they're far more sensitive than they would be otherwise. It's a struggle, actually. But we kind of touch on it in the film where especially when it comes to like subconscious programming, and mm -hmm. which then so belief systems that may be negative and disempowering that we adopt from our caregivers from the ages of zero to seven. Bruce Lipton says it's, you know, we're just a sponge. So we're adopting other people's beliefs and behaviors and energy, but they're subconscious. So we don't even know that program is running the show. Yeah, yeah. Or a trauma happens like to Elizabeth in the film. And she, you know, she had an experience where she was really more like humiliated in her class. And so she developed a belief system that she was repulsive or whatever, whatever that belief system was. And then that, you know, she's not aware of that as an adult that she has that belief. But then if you look at her toxic relationships that she's attracted and all this other thing, it's like, so what I say, it's like, yes, certain decisions, events, behaviors, things may have led you to come into this state of dis-ease, you're out of balance with your highest and best kind of path, but you're not to blame for it because 99% of it is subconscious. And like, you yeah. could have this yeah. disempowering belief system that then subconsciously drives behavior that is not productive for you, mm -hmm. that's destructive. So- I just think so much is subconscious and it's bringing those traumas to the surface. Again, like if a trauma happens, we don't, we, if we don't have the tools, which many of us don't when we're younger and still today, many of us don't, yeah. um, we suppress the emotions and that energy gets trapped in our body. So again, it's like the trauma happened, but to survive emotionally in that moment, we don't feel and we just stuff it down wherever it's living in our body. And until we, bring that to the surface, we can't move forward. So there's so much that is subconsciously happening. That's one part of it, which it's easy to have compassion around and say, look, it's not about blame, but it is It is about becoming aware of our programming and our mm -hmm. behaviors and our habits so that we can make lifestyle changes. You know, there's a big part of our society, modern society, that just wants to not look at our stuff and just take a pill and be done with it. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and that's why I love... Peter Crone, when he says, like, you can, and and many of the experts in the film believe this, it's like, Western medicine, they all say Western medicine is great for acute, you know, but if you're dealing with something chronic, 
we need to look at the whole picture and make lifestyle changes. You can still do a Western course of treatment, but until you change all the lifestyle and the belief systems and heal the trauma around it, you bombarding an illness with a pharmaceutical is not changing the environment that allowed that illness in the first place. So eventually it's going to come back. So Western medicine is fine, but we do need to support holistically on our own so that we can change the environment and that illness really goes away for good. Yeah, you had such a great interview on the Heal podcast. And and I think it it was such an apt metaphor, uh, creating a soil that is inhospitable to cancer, right? What are those things that you can do that can change the environment? You know, we talk about the tumor micro environment as it relates to different cancer therapies, but what about the macro environment, your entire lifestyle and your body and and your stress patterns? Um, The first Cancer Connections podcast that we did was a conversation with Gabor Mate, who um, wrote a book about the stress and disease connection. And I think that that when you look at all of the evidence on the connections, and, and as you said, when we think about stress, kind of, I think, automatically go to, oh, your job or, you know, sort of the evident conscious manifestations of stress, but not necessarily these subconscious, you know, Mm -hmm. conditioning or these patterns that you've developed over time and how those patterns that are established really early in life, how they mature and how they can create problems later on. But one of the first things that I asked him was, how can you approach these conversations compassionately? Um, You know, we're supporting people who are facing a health crisis, who are already very stressed. And Mm -hmm. To raise the prospect that that stress can be consequential in their healing, in their disease journey, Um, I can understand why, unfortunately, this doesn't come up in conversation with your oncologist. And, And even if they did bring it up, what then? Are they trained and resourced to help direct someone in how to deal with their stress, how to manage their stress, how to take kind of this comprehensive look at what might be causing stress and and contributing to this kind of sympathetic activation in their in their bodies. So it's it's really tough to encourage that kind of dialogue that you know kind of forces people to try to identify that support outside of the system. Totally. Um, yeah, and it's it's tough and you know, one of the things that we have identified at Clarity and the kinds of support that we provide to patients in in, in addition to to stress management is we found that there is a really tangible benefit to addressing death anxiety, that there's almost this ripple effect when you can go in and we've been talking about our cultural disinclination or our cultural biases. We are not good about talking about mortality, about dealing with death anxiety. And I was so inspired by my conversation on the Cancer Connections podcast with BJ Miller about how having these conversations about death, anxiety, and talking about mortality can actually make for a more joyful life, right? When Mm. you can, rather than trying to, like, like you said, shove these concerns into a corner, or try to ignore them or distract yourself from them, to bring them out into the light and, and address them head on, 
that's not a fun conversation necessarily. That's not something that probably a lot of people look forward to, but what lies on the other side of it makes it really worth it. So I don't know if you've come across that in, in, in your work too, or, or, or what your experiences have been. Yeah. I, I haven't had those conversations. Yeah. Um, luckily I've been just what, what heavy conversations. However, I think, I think it's so important, especially if someone has, I mean, HEAL is all about hope. And if you understand the nocebo and the placebo effect, you know, a doctor's language, a doctor's belief in the treatment can actually be subconsciously adopted by by the patient. So all of that to say, like, you made such a great point. Getting the diagnosis is so stressful. So yes, we have to go to past trauma and deal with those stresses. And we have to look at your work environment and your family environment and look at all the stresses that exist. But then now you've got lumped on top the stress, this death anxiety, right? And that's the ultimate anxiety, I think. I think all fears kind of stem from this mortality and this unknown, the uncertainty of what's going on, which is why I think we've had this crazy exacerbation of this pandemic the last year and a half because this fear of death has been brought to the surface. And and just like you said, if just bringing that fear to light and putting it on the table, whether it's talk therapy or some sort of healer, like it just that alone releases the pressure of not facing something. So so you may not have the answers in one one session or you may not heal. It's a big, it's a big anxiety. It's a big like unknown and that mm-hmm. uncertainty is so anxiety causing. But just bringing it to surface then releases that pressure. Then you can be more present to, okay, now that that's up in a reality that I can continue to work through and talk through, I can focus on how I want to live my life today. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when until you face that fear, you can't be present to your life, especially when you're in crisis. That's why we say that the first step in healing is acceptance. Because if there, if you're resisting anything like change or death or anything, like you, you can't move forward. Your body is going to stay in this fight. So surrendering in that is a huge conversation that will just give you so much relief and presence and ability to work through it. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things our program director has been so helpful in helping me to understand this dynamic, um, because she has supported thousands of women with ovarian cancer. An observation of hers is that there, this dynamic that you point out of resistance and pushing against this fear, and a lot of women do this, really try to keep a lid on this and keep it contained, which creates additional stress for them because they don't want to freak out their families. They they don't feel like they can have these conversations. Um, they want to protect their families from from their own fears, and so it's it's kind of a double whammy. It's okay. I'm, I have this own anxiety myself and I am working so hard to keep it under wraps to protect the people that I love. So, Mm. so if you can release that, it's like a double benefit of saying I've addressed my own issues and I'm not struggling so mightily to keep this contained um, and to protect the people that I love. You know, what one of the things that I loved about the conversation with BJ Miller is that we can hold both things to be true. We can accept our mortality and still fight with everything we have 
for our cure, right? It doesn't mean that we're giving up on our survival or or a positive clinical outcome. We can do both. And that's kind of the beautiful thing of the human experience. We can be fully in this human experience where we can hold both things. We can hold out hope and be striving for that. And, and we can also accept that this is the end that we all share. This is what we share with all living things is, is that our life is precious. It's not indefinite. It's, it's a deadline. It's, we, we, it's a bookend. Um, And so, and to your point that, that frees us up to ask, you know, I do have limited time. We all do. How do I want to spend that time? What's important to me? What brings me joy? Um, because uh, candidly, as an organization that is committed to supporting patients and providing hope and searching for the latest research that can be helpful in improving treatment, it's been hard for us as an organization to talk about death and mortality. And we had to really come to a conscious, intentional decision to say, if we don't, we're playing into this cultural avoidance, and it's not in best service of the people that we're supporting. So mm. we're, we are ourselves learning how to do both, to say, yes, we have to talk about mortality and maintain hope, and, and we can do that, right? That's what makes us bigger as people. Um, but it's a little bit of, of, of what you were talking about is is opening to this experience more fully. And I, I just want to hear more about that. Yeah, just yeah. It's I think it, that's why I think it's so healthy to kind of have a bigger spiritual faith of some sort. It definitely doesn't have to be a religion, but to to have some sort of rooted belief that there's meaning to all of this. And I'm here for a reason. And things happen to my life. It's, I mean, to me, I'm spiritual and that causes me to take responsibility for my life. Yes, I can feel woe is me if something crappy happens, but I don't stay in victimhood too long. And so Mm -hmm. it's, that's also what I wanted to accomplish with Heal is like, and I I think all the spiritual teachers that I read, it's all about learning to take responsibility for your life and accept Mm -hmm. and trust that there is a, because of this law of energy and just life is so intelligent and miraculous. And you just have to look to nature to understand that. And mm-hmm. I, that's why nature is so healing. But nature is constantly regenerating itself, even though we're as humans very destructive at this phase in our history. Nature just finds a way to cleanse, renew and regenerate. Mm-hmm. And, and we have that same energy and intelligence in us. So to just step back and you know, of course, it's natural to feel sorry for yourself and woe is me, but then to just go, okay, wait a minute, there's a bigger meaning here. What am I not seeing? Where am I out of alignment with my purpose in my life? Where am I? It's, there's so much, like everyone that I know that I've talked to and interviewed that have healed something that was very serious or maybe termed terminal or whatever, and they they defied odds they say they wouldn't change a thing. It was the greatest gift that happened to them. So to me, just having this like, it's like a wake-up call to there's something more to life. I'm not meant to be sickly. I'm not meant to be suffering. I'm not, but there's, this is, symptoms are kind of alarm bells waking us up saying there's something out of balance. So it could be a pain. It could be a rash. It could be a tumor. These are saying like either our environment is off. We need to change our environment. We need to look at the toxins in our environment, the toxins in our relationships, the toxins in the food we eat. We need to, something is 
we haven't addressed that we've pushed down for many years. Maybe it, maybe it's trying to come out of the skin, come come to the surface. Mm-hmm. So any sort of diagnosis is a is a is an alarm bell going off, saying there's something in your life that is you're out of alignment with your highest and best good and purpose here. And so let's look at everything. And you bring up a point that I have been so intrigued by, and I'm so excited to talk to you about this. You mentioned kind of the the self-awareness, the intuition, the introspection as being kind of a key piece of this. And this is what was like a, a lightning bolt when I read Jeff Rediger's book, Cured. And I, I just wanted to read an excerpt uh, from that, because I think it it really gets to this this question of introspection. And what I admired so much is that he set out, I think, to study these cases of spontaneous remission with a real scientist's approach. Right? He wanted to figure out, like, okay, if you do this and this and this, then you know this is the formula for spontaneous remission. Like, what? What are all of the things that are done? And he was looking for these patterns in these relationships. Um, but but what he found instead is more that this process of self-discovery and introspection was the key piece in all of this. Like, this is what made it all work. So he wrote, this is a quote from the book, um, he said, each person alluded to a process of self-discovery or reassessment that had somehow helped align and make possible the other pathways to healing I'd been so laser focused on, such as nourishing the body, changing their relationship to stress and cultivating love and connection. Perhaps these survivors were all describing the same fundamental experience, but using very different language to try to capture it. The way a dozen artists could all paint the same scene and the results would be wildly different. I'd been missing it, even though it was right under my nose. But now, finally, I knew what I was looking for. The elusive, difficult to describe, and very personal process of transformation. It was a way of understanding oneself in an entirely new light that seemed to make all the other changes possible, from diet to stress to love and connection. Mm. You know, I, I just... To me, that again brings us from, and you've you've said it, an externally facing orientation, right? I need an expert. I need a second opinion, a third opinion, um, and and it. I think it encourages us t- to look inside, to listen to our intuition, to to value introspection, not just kind of this external process of becoming educated and empowered. But once we learn all of this, once we identify resources that can be helpful to us, what does our intuition say about that? Um, because it seems like you can go just as wrong kind of pursuing alternative treatments by rote, right? That was one of the examples in Jeff Rediger's book where this woman was blogging about her dietary intervention to pancreatic cancer and someone with a really similar case followed it to the letter and it just, it didn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so what do you see? Like, this is not something that I think we celebrate culturally. It's tough for us to describe. It's, it's tough for us to guide someone in, in, in this. How do you understand it? What have you seen in your work? Yeah. I mean, I, I highlight, I love Dr. Jeff and it's so funny after I did heal, I, re- I picked up his book and I was like, Oh my God, this is my film in a book. You know? <laughs> uh, he's such a 
lovely human, and I wish I knew him before I did the film because I would have put him in there. But Kelly Turner's research, she did the same thing where she mm-hmm. she was doing her PhD and she saw these cases of spontaneous healing and was like, wait a minute, why aren't doctors studying what they did? Like yeah. they just sent them <laughs> home as anomalies, but like right. there's not just one or two of them. There's like thousands of these mm-hmm. people who were sent home to die and spontaneously healed. Yeah. So I love her work, and one of her nine key factors, which is now 10 because she's added movement, is following your intuition. And it's such a, like you said, elusive, ethereal concept, but it's it's key. And there is no one-size-fits-all model for healing. It is so personal. And especially with cancer, there's hundreds of causes of cancer, and each each person might have a different cocktail of, of causes and, and and conditions that brought them to where they are. And that means there's just as many ways of healing at, as there is people. Yeah. So I, I truly believe it. anything is possible based on Anita Morjani's story and, and many more. But intuition, and I just interviewed Anita again because she has this new book out called Sensitive is the New Strong. Mm. And it's about highly sensitive people and empaths, which is exactly the messaging I needed to hear right now because I'm really it's we're in this like global crisis. It's all about the failings of our health system. It's just a very heavy time f- when I'm seeing that people are dying when they don't need to be. Mm-hmm. And and then there's because of the line of work, I I'll, I constantly get and I'm sure you deal with the same thing, but people are crying out for help, asking me mm-hmm. to help and I'm just like I can't my heart can't handle because mm-hmm. I want to help everybody. Yeah. So she wrote this book and and she herself is a is an empath and she talks about how just like we all have this guidance and some of us are more connected to it if you're an actual intuitive and you have clairvoyance or clairaudience or whatever these are you're very connected you don't need to like cultivate but and we're we're all on this spectrum of sensitivity but we all have intuition and i go back to nature that is our intelligence it's nature and spirituality i mean it's like we have this internal guidance system that will never, ever lead us astray if we know how to. And there's such subtle signals, mm. you know, but your body is part of that. Like your body is your, it's your tuning fork to yeah. your intuition. So like, we just need to be taught how to translate the messages of our intuition. And I think meditation helps and connecting with nature and silence and and these things where, you know, running. Sometimes when I was running, like I would get these intuitive hits. So whatever it is that gets your mind in that meditative clearing state where all the minutiae quiets down, um, and then you can actually hear this guidance. And and I, I firmly believe that once you tune into it and understand it and can translate it, it will never leave you astray. That's, that's the highest truth that your body is trying to tell you in subtle ways. And until you can learn to hear it and develop that awareness and practices that allow for that voice to speak loudly. It goes missing and the universe will be knocking you louder and louder over the head until you wake up and hear it. But it's, to me, it's like your intuition is, is everything. And that's, that's you, you, all the answers you need are within you, which is why I, you know, I, we can, and and Anita's book says this beautiful. It's, It's all about like, she said, I'm so intuitive and I've gotten rid of the fear and I've cleared the channel and I'm connected, but I don't want to say I'm channeling because I don't want people to come to me for answers. I'm trying to teach people to turn within to channel their own answers because everybody's answers are within themselves. Yeah. And we can hold up mirrors and you may need to go to a therapist or a holistic practitioner to hold up the mirror to you so that you can become aware. But ultimately, 
when you set the intention, when you get quiet, when you make the decision, when you surrender and accept and you ask the right questions, your intuition will guide you and the, the answers will show up immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's so inspiring. And we, we both interviewed Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. And what, what I love just about talking to her and about her story is when you, when you hear her speak about her experiences in her own mind, you can, you can get a, an appreciation for what we have naturally, right? With our, like our natural capacity for, for feeling this kind of connection. And, and so it, it's to me, she really embodies kind of this science and spirituality and, and is suggestive that it's not outside of us. To your point, it's like it is, it is within our neuroanatomy to feel that connectedness, to feel larger than the universe, to feel that, that love and connection. It's not something that you have to seek externally. It's almost a matter of through her stroke, through Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor's left hemisphere stroke. She was in this experience of like this pure right brained experience. We all have it. We just, you know, we, our left hemispheres are in overdrive most of the time. So to me, that's just, that's such a sort of a, a beautiful representation of the, the science and the spirituality. And it's part of our, our neuroanatomy and it's, it's available to us. Totally. Yeah. And you've talked about your own meditation practices and, and seeing other like healing practices and traditions. And uh, how do you see this aspect of intuition and self-awareness kind of playing itself out in those situations? I mean, I feel like a lot of the healing modalities that I've tried is all about setting up processes where you can tap into your own answers and intuition. Mm -hmm. So whether it's doing EMDR or internal family systems, IFS, mm -hmm. or tapping, EFT, emotional freedom technique, or doing plant medicine ceremonies, whatever these different modalities and kind of processes or ceremonies that you go through, it's all about reconnecting with your truth and clearing out anything in the way that is muddling that or mm -hmm. you're getting in the way. So like even just working with even just like EMDR and it's, it's kind of hard work to clear yeah. out the stuff and to yeah. get to the bottom of it. You have to be really present and you have to tune into your body, you know, and it's, yeah. it's wild. But I think that working with practitioner is all about whatever the modality is. Ultimately, it's about you reconnecting with they're, they're facilitating your reconnection with yourself and with your, you know, higher self guidance, intuition, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we have talked about this internally as an organization at Clarity, what what I've tried to understand just kind of secondhand from other patients who have gone through this, you know, I think that if you haven't faced a health crisis, um, the prospect of some of this sort of transformative work for those of us who are blessed with with good health and are doing this this work we know that it's it's hard and and sometimes it can take a while right it's like you've been practicing meditation for years and and sometimes it 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 can feel slow but you know what what i'm always struck by is the idea that it doesn't have to be slow. Sometimes I feel like these crises can just crack open your awareness and create 
this opportunity that a lot of people choose to to walk into and to take advantage of. And this kind of awareness can happen really quickly. And, you know, you can be kind of cracked open to to all kinds of new possibilities that you might not have if you're kind of in, in relatively good health. It's, um, you know, it creates kind of a unique opportunity if we choose to take it, if we choose to mm-hmm. explore that. Totally. I think that's with anything in life. A lot of people have these ideas about timelines and doctors will plant ideas in your head about timelines that they've seen, but it's like, don't ever let anybody tell you what's possible for you. I know people that haven't found love and they're 42 and they're freaking out and they want to have a kid. And I'm just like, dude, it can literally, I've heard so many stories. It could happen overnight. Like you have to, it's, so I, I constantly, I love Joe Dispenza's work because he goes, mm-hmm. he always is challenging you to think beyond what you like that, what you think is impossible. Just like go beyond that. Like know that so much, like we live in a world of infinite possibility. You could mm-hmm. meet and have a baby Literally, you can meet someone and have a baby like nine months later. So yeah. it can happen as fast as it's biologically possible. Yeah. But And same with healing. People have healed spontaneously in an instant. Some people, for whatever the reason, divine timing, life, destiny, whatever, I don't, I'm not equipped with those answers. Again, the answers are within you. Yeah. But um, anything is possible. It could be faster. And so if you if you intuitively feel, if your doctor's telling you, oh, it's going to be a five-year process, and you intuitively that you're like, no, that's not right for me, or no, mm-hmm. then like, don't buy into that. It could happen for you. And in, in, it happened for Anita in three weeks, and she was yeah. basically dead. So like, yeah. so much more is possible. And you're for you to like have a reaction to you, your doctor telling you that if it doesn't resonate, that means your intuition is like, that's not your story. That's mm-hmm. not your path. Find a new doctor or find someone that can help you block that out if you need to still work with that doctor and and you have your own timeline that's right for you. Yeah. Open yourself up to the possibility. So yeah. you mentioned and just say thank you again for for all of your work to help people who are in these health crises and 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 to try to you know bring that hope and inspiration and resources and questions and ideas. There is so much need you, you pointed out, right? And so what would you love to see? What can happen in hearkening to this idea of anything is possible? Like, what what can happen to, for people who are in this space, who are trying to help people through these, you know, through these difficult challenges and to try to walk this path of, of their disease on their own terms and in the best way possible? How can we do this? How can we help people find their way to healing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a combination of information and education coupled with inspiring stories. The more people see examples of possibility, the more they strengthen it from themselves. And then it's like every person is a candle and the light gets brighter, 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 brighter. And if I think of how broken our system is <laughs> and not beyond medical and, and our education system, like we're in dire straits right now. But again, just like if one really powerful person, like I don't want to, turn anyone off, but like they say like the vibration or the frequency that like Jesus was vibrating at or Gandhi or these peacekeepers and these teachers, their their vibration could counterbalance like a million people like on a lower vibration or 10 million or whatever it was. So like what I'm trying to say is the more the more candles are lit and the more people are inspired, and the more people change their own self, that will 
start to just change the system from the inside out. We start to become aware of different ways we can use our consumer dollar. So we stop buying toxic foods and processed foods or factory farmed animal foods and businesses and corporations and the medical establishment is forced to change. And it's a big tanker and it's it's very depressing to look at like how is this going to happen? But we go beyond what we think is possible, what we can comprehend in our minds and go, you know what? Miracles happen every day. Yeah. And you just you we just have to be that change and 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 know that life, nature, it's we're we're constantly heading towards the sunlight. You know, that little blade of grass is busting through the concrete to get to that sunlight. And so mm-hmm. we're constantly going to move and evolve towards the light, towards towards life affirming systems. I mean, it's ugly right now, but I have faith and we just have to continue to push beyond what we think is possible and and hold on to that. Yeah. Well, that is a really inspiring note to end on. Thank you so much, Kelly. I really appreciate the conversation today. You've given us a lot of inspiration and a lot to think about. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me on. And it was just, I, I can't wait to find out more about the work you're doing because it's that's what we need. We need support until we create new systems. We need the support to navigate the systems we have. And so Clarity and, and everything you're doing is so powerful and so need, needed. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Cancer Connections. We hope we've left you with some new perspectives to make the cancer journey more manageable. Please review us on your preferred podcast platform and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, share these episodes with someone you care about. Sometimes starting a difficult conversation can be the hardest part. Sharing a podcast can show support and might even open doors to important discussions that can make a real difference. Cancer Connections is produced by Clarity, which provides free support and services to people impacted by ovarian cancer. If you'd like to learn more about Clarity or any of the topics we've discussed today, please visit us at clarityfoundation.org. Once again, that's clarityfoundation.org.